Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Again, I forgot my glasses this morning, so some of this is going to be by memory, and I'm not going to make any promises, okay? So here we go. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. We've, uh, as a church during this Advent season, been looking back at Christmas And my invitation to you has been to consider how in our lives, in the present moment, how often we are not able to discern the story God may be writing for us. It is only, however, when we step back and look back in hindsight, in in retrospect, that perhaps things begin to become a little clearer and we understand that God was up to something after all, ultimately for our good. How true that must have been for these characters, these people that we meet in that first Christmas story as Jesus came to earth in such a humble way as a fragile baby boy. But you know, there's, there's something about Christmas that often calls us to look back. Uh, you can't help but remember special times with family. I I, I can't help but think about those magical moments of celebration throughout the years. This is the time of year, and I don't know if you're like me, but I often do get a little bit sentimental. I remember seeing video of my second Christmas on this earth. This video, however, was transferred to a VHS tape, and we don't have a VCR anymore, so I can't even show that to you guys, never mind my own children. Some of you are 
too young, you don't realize what I'm talking about there, but remember those days. So I'm going to have to just describe to you the scene. Uh, but my younger sister, Jody, was born on Christmas Eve. So my second Christmas was basically stolen from me because my parents were in the hospital with my sister. Now, I must have been with my grandparents or something while my sister uh, got all of the attention. That, by the way, is still true today. Uh, but there's a, a video of when my parents came home with my sister Jody, and after I met my sister, my parents wanted me, this adorable and intensely cute little baby boy, uh, you know, just, just really, and again, I'm so sorry I can't show this to you, but they wanted me to open my Christmas presents. So they, they got out the home video camera, and you've got to remember back in the what, 70s, that would have been 1970, remember those old cameras and the big light, and you know, we see a squinting as they're taking this video. But there I am in the middle between mom and dad, and Jody is laying there somewhere, I think, and I, and I begin to open some of the presents. I still remember those to this day. Uh, I got a xylophone and a play school bus that I played with for years, and a teddy bear. But what is so very interesting to me that I noticed about that movie was how my parents dressed. Now, my mother has literally just gotten out of the hospital. She has just had a baby. But my mom looks like she's ready to go out on a date. Her hair is done, her makeup is fine. She is, listen to this, wearing a dress and high heels when she comes home. She is, she is uh, wearing pantyhose, she, she just looks beautiful. My dad is in a collared shirt and slacks. They look like they're going out. I'm thinking, did they not have sweatpants and t-shirts in those days? I, I don't know. But it's just amazing to me how things change. That change is kind of apparent in some of the pictures I'm going to show you. Our, on our piano, my wife has a series of pictures of my children sitting down with some strange old man every year. First, it's uh, my son Caleb. Uh, he's kind of confused here. He has no idea what's going on. But then Joshua comes along, and uh, then Micah eventually comes along as well. And uh, Henry Joshua there, uh, go ahead and bring that one up. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching the back here. Eventually, of course, this keeps getting bigger. Faith arrives, and then Mary joins them one year. And you'll, you'll notice as we go along here, uh, suddenly the old man changes too, which I think is interesting. And, and I don't know about you, but uh, this picture it especially intrigues me because my kids are too old for this. They do know the truth, right? Uh, I'm not so sure, but, uh, but things change year after year. You know, over the last few weeks, we've talked about God's plan and God's promises. And this morning, I want us to consider God's providence and open our eyes to the truth that he really is working in our lives. And while we may not always be able to understand exactly what he is up to, when we look back, we will see that he always accomplishes 
his perfect will. I told you a few weeks ago that the Hebrew people never thought about looking forward into the future. In their language, they only thought about looking back into the past. You you could see the past. You knew what had happened. You knew that was known. It was you stumble backwards into the future because you couldn't see what was going to happen next. But I think it's also interesting that in the old Hebrew language, they did not have a word for coincidence. There was no such thing in the Hebrew mindset. It didn't exist in their vocabulary because in the Jewish mind, they believed that everything and anything happened for a reason because there was a creator who has set it all in motion and it is his divine providential plan that is gradually unfolding. So while you might be stumbling back into the past, The best thing you can do is confidently hold on to God's presence because he will guide you. There is safety with him. Now, in some rare occurrences, God has allowed angels to come and illuminate and explain his plan to help people understand what is going on. So in Scripture, we see God from time to time sending angels to minister and serve out his purpose. And evidently, angelic appearances are pretty rare, at least from Scripture, because in Scripture, extending about 4,000 years, we only see about a dozen angelic visits. And angels, the very word means messenger. It's not very often. So we shouldn't expect, by the way, then to see an angel waking us up in the middle of the night. We shouldn't expect to see an angel joining us in Zoom. But what we can expect to see is to understand that when an angel arrives in Scripture, they most evidently have a message from God to God's people to help clarify God's unfolding plan. Angels, therefore, are agents of God's providence. And I love that word providence. That's a rich word that captures the idea of a divine plan that is sure to unfold. Providence simply means that God is working upstream. He knows what's ahead. He's working beyond what we can see. And so every time you see an angel in the Christmas story, it's a picture of God's providence. He knows what he's doing. Now, in this Christmas story, of course, we have three angelic visits surrounding the birth of Jesus. And I want us to look at those visits this morning, and I want us to notice how God uses those angelic visits to bolster someone's faith as he details this providential plan. So scene one, you're familiar with this. We talked about it two weeks ago. God's angel visits Mary. Now, she's a virgin. She's a young teenager. We, we, we uh, spent some time here, so I'm not going to tell you the entire story, but she is to be married to Joseph, but Mary is going to have a baby. The angel announces, and she will name him Jesus. And I love the fact that Jesus, the very name, means salvation. But Mary, receiving this news from the angel, asks the obvious question. How can this be? since I'm a virgin. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you. And so the Holy One that will be born to you will be called the Son of God. 
And of course, then we have to know Mary's response. She simply says, I am the Lord's bondservant. May it be to me, just as you've said, may your word be fulfilled. And the angel leaves her. Now, if there ever was a circumstance, it seems to me, that, de that demanded some kind of explanation, it was probably this one. A virgin conceiving and giving birth to a baby had to be miraculous. No wonder it would take a divine revelation to understand what was going on. And that reminds me that when things aren't going as we planned or aren't making sense to us, we long for some kind of revelation. We long for a divine explanation. Because in our minds, we have it all mapped out. In our minds, we have this plan. We have these hopes and dreams. And then something comes along, or someone comes along, or some unseen virus comes along, and it changes everything. And in the moment, it just doesn't make sense. But we can be certain that God's plan is moving forward, and it's going to be okay. Dave Stone is a retired pastor in Kentucky, and he tells a story of his daughter Sadie when she was 12 years old. He says she was excited about a Christmas party that uh, was going to happen with her small group in church. She was counting literally down the days to when that party was going to happen. But that Friday morning came and she got dressed and she got ready for school, but her dad had placed a letter on her mirror. It said, you're not going to school today. You need to pack some warm clothes and for three days because we are going on a trip. Now, Sadie was curious. She also was bitterly disappointed. Going on a trip meant that she was going to miss that party. Sadie knew her dad was leaving for somewhere on a speaking engagement that weekend, so she's thinking, you know, here my dad is going to take me somewhere in the boonies of Kentucky so I can hear him speak several times. She's a little upset the more she thought about it. But her mom kept saying to her, Sadie, trust your dad. So that morning, they started off on their trip, got in the car. People started texting Sadie. Dad had arranged this beforehand. Sadie, trust your dad. It's going to be all right. And when they ended up at the airport, Dad said, I had her attention. Well, at the airport counter, Dave stopped and said to Sadie, I just need to tell you now, we're going to New York City. I've been asked to speak there, and I thought it'd be fun if we did this together. So off they went. They flew into town. They enjoyed a Broadway show, went to Fiddler on the Roof. They saw Rockefeller Center and the Grand Christmas Tree. They did some ice skating in Central Park, ate some Italian food, rode subways, bargained with street vendors, rode some taxis, went to Macy's to shop. And of course, you got to hear her dad preach three times. I know how Faith loves to hear me preach, so I'm sure that was a highlight as well. Here's the point. Sadie had to say no to the party because she said yes to her daddy. And she chose to trust her dad. 
This morning, I want you to know, I don't necessarily know where God is taking you. But you can know this, that your heavenly Father can be trusted. It requires humility. It's an adventure of faith and service, but ultimate joy. But listen, it starts with trust. Lesson number one, then, is this. When you are uncertain of what's happening, trust your Father's heart. He'll reveal his plan in his time. Scene number two, Joseph. We talked about this last week. Joseph discovers his fiancée is pregnant. Joseph is not buying Mary's explanation. So God has an angel visit Joseph. The angel outlines for Joseph exactly what basically is told Mary. And you will call his name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. And so Joseph goes and does exactly that and decides to take Mary as his wife. He obeys his heavenly father in spite of the scandal and the shame and the hardship. And Jesus is born. And we know that he had a godly mother and a godly father. And they protected him and raised him and loved him. And he changed the world. And we saw last week how that could not have been easy for Joseph. The Bible says that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. But how often do we think of God instead as the one who interferes in our life than rather intervenes in our life for our good? We often develop this idea that, that God is only going to hurt us, that God is only going to cause us difficulty. But I want you to know God wants something better for us. He wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to have life. Now listen, Jesus didn't come into this world to just establish a holiday. He didn't come into this world just so we could get together around a tree and, and, and celebrate and have eggnog or whatever it is we do. He came to save sinners and reconcile us to God. Without him, we would have no hope. And so the Bible says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And his work may not be done quite yet in you, but you can know this, just how much he loves you. And so here's the second lesson I want you to have this morning. When you question what's happening in your life, remember Jesus. All of God's totality has come to save you. God the Father loved you so much, he sent his Son. God the Son loved you so much, he died for you and rose again. God the Spirit loves you so much that he has decided to take up residence in your life and fill you with his Spirit and anoint you and claims you as his own. 
Remember this morning, if you're a person of faith, if you know Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven. All that is wrong will in this world someday be made right. And yes, only now can we see through a glass darkly, but God sees the whole thing. We have a little lantern and can only see maybe a step or two ahead of us, but God has a spotlight and he sees the entirety. He knows it all. And he's for you. And he loves you. When you don't know what's going on in your life, remember Jesus. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. That's what he promises to do. That's who he is. That's his nature. So this morning, if you're struggling, and I know some of you are, some who aren't here may be listening by live stream. Remember Jesus. Remember he came for you. The third scene. The Jewish people have been waiting patiently for hundreds, in fact, thousands of years for Messiah to come. But that setting on that first night of Christmas was on a Judean hillside where the Bible describes shepherds. And by the way, they were the lowest of the low in their society. They were on the low rung. They were ed educated. They were dirty. They were smelly. They were out there in the middle of the, the night keeping watch over their flocks. And for them, I'm sure it was like any other night. It was dark. But like any proud father, God wanted to announce to the world the birth of his son. And I guess if you thought about it, you'd think, well, God, why wouldn't you announce it at the palace in Jerusalem? Lord, why wouldn't you use the social media influencers, the TikTokers and, and Instagrammers to help with that announcement? But God's ways aren't our ways. And he has an angel make an announcement to some shepherds in the darkness of the night. And I remember as I read that passage this year, boy, there is darkness even now in our world. But it is in that darkness an angel comes, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You would be too. They are fearful. They're wondering all of a sudden what in the world is going on. Sometimes I see Christians who seem to be fearful about all that is happening in our world. But we need not be. And I want for just a moment for you to help me here. I, you know, one of the great things about Christmas traditions is they used to have these, these uh, Christmas plays, you know, uh, where you'd have the pageants and everybody would have a part and a role and somebody would be Joseph and somebody would be a shepherd and someone would be the donkey and all kinds of various places that you, you might play. Well, I want you as a group to be the angel with me this morning, and I want us to hear the message of that angel, and I want us to repeat it together. So I want you to read this with me with some gusto, with some meaning, with some excitement as we 
encounter what the angel said to those shepherds that night. Would you do that with me? Here it is on the screen. Let's begin. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Well, the first thing that strikes me when I hear that message is, we'll get to the do not be afraid in a moment, but think about the contrast. I've just told you that the Messiah has come. The Lord is here. The glory of God is among you in the town of David. This will be the sign to you. He's wrapped in cloths, rags, in a barn stall, in a feeding trough. Can you imagine for a moment being a shepherd and receiving this message? We don't need to be afraid. But it doesn't stop there because an angelic choir suddenly lights up the night sky and they start praising God saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And for those shepherds, their fear is suddenly turned to joy. They know that God is for them. God notices them. God loves them. And so they go to visit the baby. And they realize their world has changed. Their eternity is different. They know that God loves them immensely. It is so profound that they can't contain themselves. And I can imagine them in the middle of the night going and knocking on doors and saying, we've got to tell you what's happened to us. We've got to tell you what's going on. They cannot keep silent. They have to share it with others. And that's the third lesson. In God's kingdom, there are no little people. He wants to use you to share his message. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God's providence means that he is working behind the scenes, he has a purpose for everything that is occurring, and his purpose is often to use you to bring others to him. I told you that Christmas has a way of making me sentimental I was thinking this week, I became pastor here when I was 25 years old. I realized the other day that I've spent over half of my life in this church. That made me feel really old, you know, and like, wow, life is going quickly. There aren't, in fact, many of you who were here that first day when I took the pulpit in July. I I saw Don Cook back there and the Millen's here. I, I don't know if there was anyone else here at that time. Probably not. By the way, in that, uh, it was July, there was no air conditioning. We didn't even have fans in the sanctuary. The sound system 
was in a side room, as you can imagine, there was a room right, right about here, and the sound, little, the sound board was right back there, and, and the sound guy had to literally poke his head around the corner to get a sense of what was going on in the, in the facility, which was a little bit distracting, to be very honest. So, so we had a lot of things going on at that day. There were windows along the sides because it was a much smaller building at that point. But uh, I, I think about that experience, and, and oh, I see Phaedra back there too. She was around. But we had about uh, 70 people in the church at that point. Uh, they were wondering if the church was going to be around for long. The church had gone through some things and difficulties, and suddenly they had a pastor who wondered if he was really supposed to be here at all. I remember feeling small and inadequate. And nervous was not, I mean, that would be an understatement. But two things happened. First, the church was filled with patient people who wanted our relationship together to work. And so genuinely, people just rose up and they helped me become a better pastor. We had people help with the music, and people rose up and helped with Bible studies and fellowship groups and youth programs and children's ministry. We had people who just became generous and gave. I've got to tell you, I've been here long enough to know that God has always provided in some form, some way, when we needed something. If if we needed $80,000, we got $81,000. If we needed a million dollars, we prayed and worked and got a million plus. And again and again, I've seen God in small ways and in big ways just prove that he's good. And why he doesn't just give us a billion dollars and take the pressure off, I don't know. But, but the reality is he doesn't work that way, does he? I think he likes us to trust him. But God used his people to reach people and you, in some sense, are a part of that work. But the second thing that happened is that God showed up. In the midst of normal people and a very average preacher, God showed up and reminded us that he was God and that he was good and that he loved us intensely. And he changed people's lives and he challenged them. And then I think, you know, maybe that's why I'm still here. This average guy met Jesus several years ago in a Sunday school room, probably five or six years old. And God softened my heart and I realized he loved me. Christmas became real. And in high school, he began to put another burden on my heart that I might need to consider ministry. And I said, Lord, okay. And he called me in college to give my life completely to him. And I haven't told that story for quite a while, but my senior year, I made a a very important decision. Now, this is what we know. At Christmas, we should and do take the time to marvel at the mystery that God has given himself to us. But my friends, I want you to remember that that is only half the Christmas story. Because at Christmas time, we must also be confronted with this question. 
And I believe this might be the reason that the providence of God has called you here today. Have you, my friend, given yourself completely to him? You see, that's the, that's the call of Christmas. Not that Jesus has just given himself to us. He has, and it's marvelous, and it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it is miraculous. But Christmas is only complete when we give ourselves to him. And some of you have been holding back. Mary said, Lord, may it be to me just as you have said. I'm yours. I'm your bond servant. Joseph, I don't care about my reputation. I choose to obey you. The shepherds, it's the middle of the night. We didn't think we were important. We are scared to death. But God, we celebrate your son and we will share your message. We belong to you. Have you given him yourself for Christmas? Will you pray with me? Father, in the quietness of this moment, I pray we would take the time to reflect on the marvelous mystery of the fact that Jesus came. That we would understand the significance of Christmas. That the one born in a manger willingly took upon himself my sin to die on the cross a death he did not deserve so that I could have eternal life. But that Lord you call each of us to yourself. You have given us so much. We have an opportunity now to give ourselves to you. That God, providentially, you brought us to this moment. And you want to stir within us a desire to serve you, to trust you, to put our complete hope in you. When the world is dark, when the circumstances are confusing, when all doesn't make sense we can trust you Lord I pray that your people would hear your voice this morning and we would consider the ways that we've given ourselves away to other things and somehow have neglected you may you have all of us today May we surrender ourselves completely to you. And Holy Spirit, use us in this world to proclaim your message of salvation, of goodwill toward all people. 
And because, Lord, you saved me, may others long to be saved too. I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, uh, as we kind of close this service, it, it seems fitting to just take a moment and remind you that Jesus Christ came down to earth, was born in a manger. Maybe this morning God is calling you to come down that aisle and come to this altar and say, Lord, I give myself to you, even as I thank you for giving yourself to me. Maybe you need to to, to, to make that an expression. Maybe that needs to be something that you need to seal today because you've been walking some other ways or you've been confused and you're hurting and you just want to say to your father, I trust you. My hope is in you. I am yours. Let's stand and sing and if you'd like to come, the altar is open.